Thanks for joining me, Pete Holtzman, for the credentials-only podcast where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest is Scott Kornberg, who serves as broadcaster as well as media and public relations manager for minor league baseball's Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. With that dual role, Scott can have a lot on his plate at any given moment, but it's a challenge he embraces. You know, I, I get the best of both worlds, not just the, the baseball side, which is my true passion, but also I, I feel like I'm of value for the team because I contribute or at least I try to contribute on that non-baseball side that's so important to our leadership team. That non-baseball side is part of what makes the minor leagues unique. Uh, Most of our business model is actually not baseball related at all. Um, We have got a saying on our staff that we want our fans when they they leave the the game at the end of the night to not even know what the final score was because they want to be so entertained by all the other things going on that want it to be an opportunity for families to come out to get away for a night uh, at an affordable price and make memories that will last a lifetime. When it comes to the action on the field, whether as an announcer or in his PR role, Scott relishes the opportunity to talk about the players as much as their numbers. Because somebody once told me that people like hearing about people. And I, and I do love like fan graphs and like baseball numbers. But if you just spout out a bunch of numbers It just goes in one ear and out the other. And I I think that, you know, when you tell a story about somebody and it's something that someone can relate to, it's just like, wow. Scott is entering his eighth season as a broadcaster and the Jumbo Shrimp are his fifth team. As with many fields, career growth is a bit of a journey, but it's not one he feels needs to be taken alone. It's not going to be like a linear path for everybody. There's all sorts of weird turns that people take. And I just would would say to anybody, don't hesitate to send that tweet to, <laughs> to somebody say you want career advice or, or find their email or, or, you know, whatever it is, because the chances are not every, not all of them, but I would say the strong majority are willing to not only respond, but also willing to give up their time to help you out. Before we get started, please take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening and to follow Credentials Only on social media. Show notes can be found on our website, credentialsonly.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Scott Corner. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. There hasn't been a lot of baseball played in the past year, especially in the minor league level, but there's been plenty of news made around the sport. Can you give us an overview? What all has happened in the past year with minor league baseball? Oh my gosh. Well, Pete, thank you for having me on. And uh, what a, what a crazy year for us. Obviously, you know, you go back to this time last year, we're just in the beginning of, of a lockdown, right. As a, as an entire country. And um, it's just amazing how scary that was. And um, yeah, our, our season gets delayed. Um, it gets delayed again. And then finally in the middle of the summer, I think right before the 4th of July, maybe, which normally for minor league baseball is just a great day. It's a great day for everybody. Uh, even in the major leagues and just for people who don't even like baseball, um, our season was uh, canceled. And, and so uh, it has been a long off season. We haven't had baseball here in about 20 months at, at one-to-one financial ballpark. And um, fortunately for the Jumbo Shrimp, we've received some really good news um, since, you know, not playing baseball this year. So, or in 2020. And um, what we did in that time, we had a whole bunch of events here at the ballpark, really just trying to catch all sorts of different people just to stay relevant, uh, to obviously to make a little bit of revenue where we could. So it was bingo nights. It was fan batting practices. It was movie nights, obviously all uh, with a ton of different safety protocols to make sure people were feeling 
comfortable coming out here and, and we've got a, a reputation for those anyway, even pre-pandemic. So we just sort of expanded on those. Um, but otherwise we've had a lot of, of good news in, in uh, you know, the late fall, early winter, we found out we were gonna be moving up to AAA, which is the highest level of, of minor league baseball. So we previously were a AA team and had been for 50 years in the Southern League uh, we're actually the longest tenured Southern League member at the time. And um, we are no longer a member of the Southern League. So we are still a Miami Marlins affiliate, just the AAA affiliate in the AAA East, which is a, a new league with 20 teams. Some that were in the International League, some in the Pacific Coast League, and, and some like us who are just brand new. But um, none of that stuff happens without the, the support of people in our community and, and our fans. We just have had glowing reviews from people since the new ownership took over in 2016. And then obviously shocked people by changing the name and, and people uh, maybe at first were skeptical, but they quickly responded to, to our mantra of affordable family fun. And I think that endless support and the, the, just the record attendance that we've had uh, the last several years. And, and just the fact that this area is growing so rapidly, it's in the top 10 every single year and fastest growing cities in the United States um, that it just makes sense for Jacksonville to compete with cities like Nashville and Buffalo, like cities of that stature in the United States. Uh, so it's something we're really excited about. And the other piece of good news, we are going to have fans when we start on May 4th, which is really exciting. We're going to do it in a safe way. We've got a, a safe, socially distanced uh, seating model from MLB, uh, as well as several different like Major League Baseball safety things that we'll be rolling out. But the good news is we did most of it anyway. Uh, for all of our, our non-baseball events in 2020. So uh, in a very long-winded answer, Pete, uh, that's sort of the, la the last year for us in the Jumbo Shrimp and how we're looking ahead uh, now to, to May 4th, 2021. You touched on, I think, everything that I want to talk to you about in more <laughs> detail. So we'll get back to it. And there is a lot of good news, in particular for the Jumbo Shrimp. It hasn't all been good news, though, for other teams within minor league baseball. I know there were some cutbacks. How many teams have went away? And what's the philosophy behind that from the hierarchy of baseball to trim down some of these teams? Yeah, that's been the, the tough part of this, right? As we get that good news and it's like, wow, you know, we're getting promoted. We're moving up to AAA. Like, that's amazing. But it comes at the expense of cities across the, the country losing their teams and obviously, you know, colleagues like, like us in minor league baseball losing their job because there is no team. And so there were 160 minor league teams. They cut uh, 42 of them. Some of them are, are just straight gone. Some of them are in uh, various leagues, like a draft league or an independent league. Um, and, and there are 120 minor league baseball teams now. So, you know, that math doesn't add up. Um, the reason they cut 42 is they actually added in two teams from the independent ranks, St. Paul and Sugarland. Um, into the minor league. So they went down to 118 and essentially went back up to 120 with those two. So uh, the, the goals, um, they, they do in, in a way make sense. Obviously it's tough to stomach and you wish there was another way. And, and I know a lot of people in our, our industry feel really strongly about this, but they were trying to, um, you know, make sure that the facilities are as good as could be trying to, you know, maybe cut down on some of the, the minor league players to, to pay them more, trying to uh, make travel a little bit easier. The, the Marlins organization was a good example of this, being that they were the major league team in Miami. Their AAA team was in Wichita, Kansas, or New Orleans prior to that. 
Um, we were their double A team in Jacksonville. Their high A team was in Jupiter, Florida. Um, their short season A or their low A team was in Clinton, Iowa, and their short season A team was in upstate New York. And so they tried to condense it to, to cut down on the travel between some of these leagues um, and some of the affiliates in the system. So, you know, for Jacksonville, it's an easy fit for Miami. Some of the other affiliates, uh, it's not as quite simple as a four and a half hour drive away. But those are some of the reasons that, that they felt like they wanted to, to at least shrink the minor leagues a little bit. Obviously, people could, could uh, reasonably disagree on some of that logic and push back. And I think we've seen a lot of that. But um, you know, that's kind of their, their mindset behind it. And, and it's really bittersweet for us. Obviously, we, we've got great news at the same time. You don't want to celebrate too much because you know that people in our industry um, are, are really hurt by this. And that's really sad to see. What does it mean for the Jumbo Shrimp to make that leap to go from AA to AAA? Uh, you know, I don't think it actually means that much to, to what we do. Uh, most of our business model is actually not baseball related at all. Um, we have got a saying on our staff that we want our fans when they, they leave the, the game at the end of the night to not even know what the final score was because they want to be so entertained by all the other things going on, the, the crazy food items we have, the in-between inning games, the fireworks, the giveaways, everything else besides the baseball. And, and that is, you know, that's what we found to be successful. We want it to be a, a, an opportunity for families to come out to get away for a night uh, at an affordable price and make memories that will last a lifetime. And, and so most of the time it doesn't involve the, the guy who's playing second base, who's batting 330. It involves all those other little things that, that, you know, start from the very moment you step in the gate. So, you know, in a lot of ways um, it doesn't really affect what we do at all because we're always going to be a promotion heavy team. Um, we'd also be naive to say that, we wouldn't welcome the highest level of baseball at the same time, right? Like it is now the very best minor league players that are coming through here. Uh, I actually wrote a story uh, on our blog a few months ago about, you know, do the best prospects really skip AAA? And it seemed like the answer was no. So I know you're still seeing the best prospects. And at the same time, you're also seeing guys from the major leagues coming down who are trying to stay up at that level uh, or obviously rehab. So you know, I, I think even from a, a baseball fan's perspective, and you are seeing the very best baseball you could possibly see in the minor leagues now. And so, uh, you know, we're always going to care about that promotion stuff first and everything else besides the baseball first as an organization for our fan experience. But at the same time, it is awesome to be able to say, like, we are a, a AAA uh, product on the field as well. Um, because there are fans who are really excited about that because they remember – Jacksonville having a triple-A team in the 60s and having Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan and Jerry Kuzman and all these great players coming through Jacksonville. And this is another opportunity uh, for that to happen in this era. So walk me through what that game day experience is like, because in my mind, baseball is baseball. This sounds like a different type of event. Uh, so what is that experience like? What are all the things you're feathering around the balls and strikes to make it that experience? That's a great question because, um, you know, I got into this, too, because I, you know, in my mind, baseball is baseball, too. I'm a huge baseball fan. And um, it's it's really interesting to me. I think when I first got into minor league baseball, it was an adjustment like what? Like you don't care about you know what's going on, that the pitcher is, has thrown six no hit innings like. But, you know, I think for us, it's it's a very personable experience. You want to be 
um, you know, very personable in our customer service, very present. Um, you know, our, 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 even before people step into the gates, our, our sales reps are, you know, making sure we make phone calls to connect with people and, and say like, hey, what did you think of your experience? What can we do better? And we take that feedback and we try to improve our product. Uh, but, you know, once you come into the gates, it, it, there's music playing. Like sometimes we have a live band, um, you know, right at the very front steps. Um, you know, we've got a whole bunch of different concession items that are, that are baseball classics like hot dogs and Cracker Jacks, but also like random like mac and cheeseburgers and um, coconut shrimp and all these different things that are more eclectic that you probably wouldn't see at a, you know, a, a ballpark maybe 15 or, or 20 years ago. Um, and then I, I think the big thing is it's just the, the promotions, you know, some nights it's, it's really silly things like Florida man night was a big hit in 2019 in which we broke a weird uh, Florida law in between every single inning. And, and some of them were like, you know, you couldn't break a certain amount of plates like that was illegal. And, and so we broke, you know, all those plates, uh, on the field and stuff like that with fans and and people just get a kick out of that it's witty it's it's funny uh it's tongue-in-cheek a little bit as well and so we just want to have a, a fun experience and obviously uh you know even the things after the game it's the fireworks that people just love and having worked for other minor league baseball teams before this and also being the broadcaster and traveling I watch a lot of fireworks shows uh, throughout the season and none of them are like Jacksonville. Like most of them are over in five minutes. And here I feel like they're going on for forever, you know, through our post-game show, you know, on the broadcast. And so I just think it's, it's for us, it's doing everything we possibly can to, to control what we can control. We don't control who plays shortstop. We don't control who bats second. That's the Marlins. Uh, we don't control who the manager is. Uh, but we can control everything else that having the best fireworks you could possibly have having the, the best giveaways we could possibly have with bobbleheads. Like we've got a George Costanza, um, the ocean cold, you're running out of shrimp bobblehead this year, which I'm very excited about. Um, what day is that? I'm buying a ticket. Right now. <laughs> we, we will release our promotion schedule coming up. I promise. Like I'm not allowed to get information. Our promotion schedule will me. Uh, but Yes. Um, you know, we've got some really great stuff and we want to just do everything we can control to the very best of our abilities. Um, and that's just being personal. It's being present. Um, it's making sure our, our food and our service and our customer service is top notch and our promotions are fun and our, and everything is just to make sure that you could just step away, relax and, and just make a memory with your family, uh, you know, that hopefully lasts a long time. You mentioned your role in broadcast. You're also doing the PR, and I want to talk a little bit about both those functions. But how much are you then involved in coming up with the Florida Man Night theme and, and all that brainstorming around these ideas to make that game experience? That's a great question. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm too involved because I'm not very smart, but we've got some really intelligent <laughs> people who are on our staff who who are involved with that. And we actually have promotions meetings in the off season every few weeks. And, and they're literally just like, what, it, what are ideas we could do? And, or like, Hey, where, what's a promotion you maybe saw another team do that we could put our own spin on it or do better. Um, and so people just, we just sit around in a big circle and uh, we're on zoom and um, we literally just throw ideas out. And that's how these things start. Like, it's just amazing what people can come up with. And I, I never come up with anything good, but um, our, our director of promotions and special events, David Ratz, he obviously has just brilliant ideas. Um, and then we've, we've also got people on our staff who just throw things out and they're like, wow, that would be great. And I think 
um, you know, Florida man, I was one of those ones that was very organic. Like there was a lot of things in, in the news at the time we were having these meetings and someone was like, Hey, we're in Florida. What, what if we did a take on this? Like the, the proverbial Florida man. And um, yeah, and that's how it started. And it's just like, it's just amazing. Uh, and it's a really cool thing to kind of, to be a part of those and, and to make sure that our staff, I think takes ownership and that, Hey, if you come up with an idea and it's great, like, let's do it. Let's, let's roll with it. So that's how we come up with it. I, I never come up with anything good, but other people on our staff are, are really just very, very smart. When you talk about the staff, how many people are, are in the front office for a team like the Jumbo Shrimp? We have about 30 people on our staff. So obviously, um, Harold Craw is our executive vice president and general manager, and he makes up our leadership team with uh, Noel Blaha, who does our, is our vice president for media and marketing, and Linda McNabb, who's our senior VP for sales. And then we've got various departments. So, you know, I'm in our media department along with one other person. We have a, um, a promotions department, community relations department, uh, sales department, box office, obviously a food and beverage um, area as well, groundskeeping operations. And, and there are people who, uh, both of those who never get the credit, credit they deserve, the operations staff for keeping the ballpark clean and in tip-top shape in the, in the grounds. So we, we couldn't play baseball if they didn't do the great job that they do. So um, we all have our different like focuses, but obviously it's a small enough staff to be able to, to have a lot of camaraderie and also to have a lot of people um, be able to approach others and say, hey, what if we did this and this and this and, and other people to be receptive to that because you get to know each other so well. With the transition to AAA, is it really that same core team or were there some people brought in? You mentioned Wichita and New Orleans having had AAA for the Marlins before. Or is that more on the baseball side where some of those people made that move? It's mostly the same. We've obviously had people leave like any company in the last you know year and, and we've had people join us to replace them. Um, but m mostly it's the same you know people. And if people came in, it's the same roles for someone they replaced. You know, I, I think it probably speaks to what we were um, doing a little bit earlier in terms of the importance of our, our business model is just not baseball related. So, you know, for us, it's, it's just doing the same stuff that we've always done. And so why, why try to fix what's, you know, worked for us in the past. And, and we do tinker around the edges. We, we've had an assistant groundskeeper, for example, because we know the field is extra important now um, when it comes to AAA, but otherwise it's, it's mostly the same stuff. And, you know, I think for the Marlins, it's really interesting to kind of see what they're doing and, um, you know, very new regime there with, with Derek Jeter's ownership group and Kim Ng being the new general manager and the focus that they're starting to take now that they didn't have on the minor leagues like in the past where they really traded away a lot of prospects. That's not the case now. They're trying to really rigorously develop players, um, really build up their analytics, which they had just completely ignored in the past. Same with the international market, um, and there's signings that are that are were in Jacksonville in 2019 that will continue to come up to us. So that's changed because we see some of that stuff, even in terms of like the things they're installing in in the press box, like a TrackMan and stuff like that. But uh, mostly on our Jumbo Shrimp staff, it, it's just you know just replacing the people who left and like any other company and and just plowing ahead. You mentioned the leadership here in Jacksonville. I'd love to ask you about the owner, Ken Babby, and, and yeah. he's a minor league baseball veteran. Um, not the first team he's bought and then changed the name. He did so in Akron as well, but he brings a lot of experience to the space. What have you found working with him in your couple of years with the organization? 
Oh my gosh. She's a uh, very high energy and very hands-on and, and, uh, yeah, very present. Uh, there's owners that you never see. Um, when I worked for a previous team, I never saw the owner ever, like never, ever, ever communicated with him. And there's owners where it's like, you know, very light and him, it's like, I can, I can call him. I can text him for any question I have. He, you know, he calls me on my birthday. Like he's just very, very, uh, there he's very, he just gets it. He's a younger guy and you know, he's pulling the tarp when he's in Jacksonville and the rain comes, he's out there pulling the tarp and I, he's throwing the t-shirts. Like he is as invested as someone can possibly be. And in a good way, he challenges us. Obviously he's got very high expectations, but I, I do think that he sets us up to succeed because we're, we're given every opportunity we possibly can, every resource that we need. Um, to be able to, to succeed. So I know people love inter asking about him and love interacting with him. And I, I just think that's real. That's just who Ken is. He's a, he's a young guy. He's got a lot of energy. I, I think he's up at like four or five in the morning every night uh, or every morning. And um, he just, he really cares. And he's a baseball fan at heart. He grew up going to Orioles games and that's why he got involved in minor league baseball. So the stuff that he saw because of his family actually working in sports and, him getting maybe a peek behind the curtain, like he wants to deliver that to the people of Jacksonville. And I think that's why he is so big in that affordable family fun is, yeah, he's a baseball fan, but, you know, he knows just the magic of, of what transpired when he was a kid and how that obviously set apart this career for him to own two minor league baseball franchises, the other in Akron. And, um, you know, they're obviously very similar to us, but he's, you know, what you see is real. He's, and he's just a great guy to work for. I think all of our staff would, would echo the same thing is that he, he truly cares about you. We were one of something like three or four teams in all of minor league baseball that didn't have anybody furloughed or laid off. And that includes like interns um, at all in 2020. And, and again, that speaks to, to his vision and, and the way he, he treats his employees. You've talked about the business model not being about baseball. However, the baseball itself is very much your business because you are broadcasting these games and there is a tremendous amount of fluidity to not only your roster and your team that you're with all year, but to those teams that are coming in. So I want to start with your preparation. How do you get ready to call these games? Cause nine innings is a long time, especially if you don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people think we just, uh, we just pop on the air and, and then that's it. But, um, you know, there, and there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And honestly, the best thing you could do, and it's going to be a challenge this year is to go down and, and talk to the guys. Normally I like to just go to batting practice and, um, just say, Hey, you know, what's going on? What has your family doing? And you'd be surprised, like little chit chat like that, the nuggets that you get about guys are incredible. And, you know, that stuff that's like, you know, I'm a really big broadcaster on stories because somebody once told me that people like hearing about people. And I, and I do love like fan graphs and like baseball numbers. But if you just spout out a bunch of numbers, it just goes in one ear and out the other. And I, I think that, you know, when you tell a story about somebody and um, it's something that someone can relate to. It's it just like, wow. Like, you know, even as a baseball fan, you know, when I used to hear Vince Scully say stuff and it's like, Oh my God, like you're just sitting there in amazement, my jaws on the floor. Like, you know, he did that. And that's what we hope to provide obviously for our guys. And the easiest way to do that is just to talk to them. And, and the challenge in 2021 
is the fact that they're pretty much in a bubble downstairs. So we can't go to batting practice. I, I used to be able to go into the clubhouse and just walk up to whoever I want. And I can't do that. I can't hang out in the manager's office to, to figure out, you know, what he's seeing and what X guy is working on. Um, so we'll have to work through that. And we will still get to communicate with guys and stuff like that. It'll just probably be over, over Zoom just like this, uh, like you and me, Pete. So um, that's the best method. The other best method, I mean, Google is an amazing tool. You'd be surprised like what you could figure out when you just type in somebody's name and just the amazing kind of what, what can pop up and, and you can kind of do some more research from there. And I, I just love um, seeing what I could find because obviously, you know, we're playing different teams, but uh, by the same token, um, we don't interact with players from the Charlotte Knights like we would the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp because we don't see them that often. So it, it's a little bit different. So there it's using Google. It's, you know, the other broadcasters that we talk a lot, they're our friends, you know. Um, I know that the broadcasters I've been really close with in my career, we just compare notes and swap stories before the game. You know, anything to help each other's broadcast out is really big um, as well. So, you know, that, that preparation, you, you know, obviously you want to know the basics, the team's record, um, different trends going on, like, hey, they're, you know, they're hitting really well with runners in scoring position right now because that could be a storyline to touch on because like you said nine innings is a lot of time and you've got to fill a lot of airspace but you know doing your homework in advance is so critical um and you asked about some of the the, the teams it's actually kind of interesting um because you wouldn't think we would know some of these teams be, but you actually might know them more than you think because take charlotte for example they were they are the white Sox triple a affiliate Birmingham is the double A affiliate, but we play Birmingham. So a lot of those guys in Birmingham are going up to Charlotte. Um, I actually used to work in Myrtle Beach and Winston-Salem, and Winston-Salem was the high A affiliate of the White Sox. Myrtle Beach was in the same league as Winston. So I actually had seen those guys for years um, when they had got, gotten to Birmingham. So I guess I'll just keep seeing them um, in Charlotte. So you'll be surprised. Sometimes you see them, you know, in our situation, we might have seen them in 2019, they're a great example of that. And otherwise, we'll just do our homework. We'll do our research and, and um, we'll see what great stories we could tell. But, you know, in our division, Charlotte is one of those teams that we saw in the past in Birmingham. Durham is one that we saw in uh, Montgomery. Gwinnett is one that we saw in Mississippi. So, you know, we're only playing a certain amount of teams this year anyway because of the way the travel is and they're keeping everything for us in division. So we're actually going to, you know, have the challenge of how do we make sure we don't say the same stuff over and over again. But, um, you know, we actually have seen a lot of these guys in the past, which is a nice benefit to moving up to a new league. It's a different sport to call, uh, in particular, compared to, say, a hockey, which is just a constant stream of action. Even basketball is pretty fast paced. Football, there's a lot more breaks between the plays, but there's always the substitution. And now they've got three wide to the left, and you kind of get to set up each play. Baseball, you can get a 10, 12 at bat, uh, pitch at bat, and not a lot changes between the first pitch and the 12th pitch, other than there have been 10 other pitches. How do you kind of get into the mode to fill those gaps between the fly out, the pop out, the ground out, the strikeout, the home run, whatever the case may be? the actual action that moves the game forward? Yeah, another great question. And I think um, 
it's easier than you think. Like you, if you look at it from a granular perspective and you're like, wow, it's three hours probably. And you know, a 10 pitch, 12 pitch at bat, you know, that could take several minutes, but at the same time, you have to remember that um, there are like strategic pauses that you take. You're not really talking over the pitch, right? So if I'm going to say something that's interesting, the time between a pitch is really about 20 to 25 seconds tops. And so you only have that time. And so really that's a sentence, maybe two. And then you just set it up the one, two, and you just wait to see what happens. And then you just say what happens. And um, so really like, it seems like a lot when you think about it, but uh, as someone who comes from the New Jersey area and my dad is a you know New Yorker, he's a Brooklynite and Long Island guy, I really have a tendency at times to, especially when I was younger to speak fast and a big thing I have to keep cognizant of is to slow down and actually write it on top of my scorebook in all caps, slow down. Um, and it, and it kind of helps fill that time. So you don't even realize it mostly. And you always have to keep the listener abreast of what the score is, what the situation is, because they can't see the game. They don't know. There's no score bug on the radio. Um, they don't know if there's runners on base. They don't re you know remember what inning it is all the time. So that's something you're constantly reminding them of. And then you being that the the eyes of the listener you also have to paint that picture you're describing everything the uniforms the way the pitcher's windup is the way their batting stance is uh where the fielders are if they're shifting what the wind is like what the clouds are like i mean literally everything because you're just trying to i know it's a cliche paint that picture for them and um you know that's our job so it seems like a lot and maybe as a fan, it might drag on if you're sitting there and like, oh, another pitch or another pickoff attempt. But um, as a broadcaster, that time goes faster than I think most of us realize until you're actually in that moment. And so I think, you know, in a weird way, I've, I've been fortunate in my career to do basketball and I love calling basketball and you get into a great rhythm, especially when there's no whistles because it's just, you know, down the floor, down the floor. And football, I always found, was, was the easiest of those three because, um, you know, really you're just calling the play and then you just stop and your, your color person takes over. I marvel at the people who do hockey. I don't know how they do that because they have to fill a lot of time. And, I, you know, I watch hockey and it seems like there's not much happening. You know, they pass and they pass and, the, you know, there's a scrum on the boards. And that seems like a lot of time to fill. But there's substitutions coming on and off all the time and the action is still happening so fast. So I, I have a lot of respect for them because I think that that's the toughest sport to call and not baseball. Yeah. Long live Doc Emmerich. It's a, uh, it's a shame he's no longer doing it, but you know, he, wow. Just so impressive what he was able to do. Uh, you also are a PR manager. Um, and so that's obviously the news and information is important to what you're doing as a broadcaster, but then you're also having to do a whole lot of other work. What, are some of the job functions with that PR manager role? Well, it's a fun job, so I don't mind it at all. Um, keeps me busy, but they're really related anyway. Um, you know, in the off season, it, it's a lot about getting ready for the, the next year. So it's doing the media guide, you know, a little simple thing like that. It's, um, you know, planning about how, how we're going to do credentials this year. Obviously, a little bit more of that this year with the, the pandemic going on. It's writing press releases um doing some graphics which i actually really enjoy so that's not a 
a bad thing at all. I also do some sales here as well. So that, that helps pass the time. And, um, and then you deal with any sort of media request that you could possibly get, you know, Hey, do you have a picture of this person or, or do you have pictures of the fireworks or, you know, whatever, some of them are very random. Um, but like, you know, they, that's your responsibility or obviously interviews. Hey, can we speak to so-and-so and, and you facilitate that. And, and then during the season, it's a little bit different because, in the off season, you're dealing with really mainly just a, a jumbo shrimp perspective, just that front office perspective. Whereas during the year, you add in that Marlins element. And so uh, th- those media relations, um, things have to expand to, to doing game notes, which is a huge packet of information every night. Um, it's about, I think, 18 pages or so. And it's got literally anything you could possibly imagine, like people's stats and records and um, bio information and, and, you know, what is the jumbo shrimps record when they have seven hits in the game? Like it's got that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, just any sort of random information. And I always find that doing those helps me actually on the broadcast, because I feel like from a numbers perspective, if there is anything that comes up trend wise, having done the game notes, um, I, I kind of know what's going on. Um, executing roster moves, the Marlins will say, hey, this person's been promoted. This person um, is, is on the IL. Uh, we have to send that out to the league and to minor league baseball and to create a new roster for the media coming here um, and for the broadcasters of that night's game. And um, writing the game recaps at the end of the night, updating our website, doing some social media really throughout the year as well. Um, running our, our blog, which is some more like in-depth baseball stories than what you'd see on jackshrimp.com, which is more of that, um, you know, this is the jumbo shrimp. Our uh, single game tickets go on sale on this date is the release I'm working on right now. And uh, whereas the blog is like, hey, do MLB's best players really skip AAA? You know, more more in-depth stuff for the, the, the deeper baseball fans. So uh, it's a lot of different stuff. It's a lot of interaction with the media. It's, it's obviously a really important relationship business because you're, you're managing relationships on your staff, like a Harold or a Ken, who are obviously popular interview requests. You're managing um, players for the, for the Jumbo Shrimp, Marlins prospects, obviously, their, their coaching staff that is put here in Jacksonville. You know, I, I've always prided myself on never being the guy who – when I come up to a player, they're not like, Oh God, it's Scott. Like he's just going to ask me to do something again. Like that's why I think it's important for me to go to batting practice and, and be present in the clubhouse so that, you know, they, they really feel like they could trust me to tell their story because I do care about them. And I do. Um, that's what this year is going to be the challenge. And then obviously it's managing those media relationships with, with different reporters and, and stuff like that. And the tough parts are, you know, when the season gets canceled, how do you handle stuff like that? When the season gets postponed, uh, like it was, uh, you know, or delayed a few weeks ago, and and you know some of the people in the media maybe are giving you a hard time. And and listen, we didn't make this decision, but obviously we're a minor league baseball team, and I, and I get where you're coming, where they're coming from too, and and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a lot of different things. Uh, it's ever changing. You know, you get one phone call or one email, and all of a sudden, you know, it sparks something, but. I think it's a great job because, you know, you, every day is different. And I, and I feel like, um, you know, I, I get the best of both worlds, not just the, the baseball side, which is my true passion, but also I, I feel like I'm of value for the team because I contribute, or at least I try to contribute. Uh, hopefully they feel like that too, in a way um, on that non-baseball side, that's so important to our leadership team. 
when you talk about being a, the, the notes doing that, helping you as a broadcaster, because you just kind of know all that stuff, chapter and verse. Do you find it goes the other way as well, though, that being a broadcaster helps you know this is the valuable content? And, and boy, I wish that was in the notes because I'm in the seventh inning and this is happening. I wish I had already looked that up. That gets added for the next game and then forever on from there. Absolutely. Um, yes, that and you have other teams, they give you their notes as well. And some of them are better than others, obviously. So sometimes you have another team and, and you know, maybe something is in there or not in there that you wish was. And you're like, oh, I wish I had that right now. But yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I always feel like hopefully as a broadcaster doing the game notes, maybe that helps the other broadcasters because chances are not all of our styles are the same, but most of the time specific information that I might find valuable, somebody else might find valuable, but you know what? We're not always going to use it. I think, you know, most of the preparation I do from the Googling and the speaking that I, you know, talk to the players before and, and the game notes, you know, you probably use like 5% of it um, that you have in your head for the actual time you're on the air, but you just want to have it just in case, because you never know. Um, You know, I think this year, the example, it would be we're adding like a base running section to our game notes to figure out, you know, how often does a, uh, a guy score from second base on a single and how often does he go from first to third? We're not going to use that really probably very often at all, but you know, there will be that guy that it's like, man, he's got hidden value and he is such a great base runner because the average guy scores from second in a single. I think it's like 50% of the time I, ha- I have it in the notes, but I, I don't remember at the top of my head and, what he's able to do it 70% of the time, you know, stuff like that. Um, and that, and then the listener by comparing those two numbers, like, wow, you know, that is amazing. And so I, I just, I like to be over thorough if I can help it. And being the broadcaster, I, I think that does help hopefully help the game notes. Um, Cause I think I know what I'm looking for and maybe hopefully other broadcasters will feel the same way. You talk a little bit about some of the news that can happen. There are going to be injuries or trades or someone gets called up or sent down and, um, you did refer to a lot of that coming from the Marlins, but the Marlins have their own schedule. And there are probably times when that may well happen while you're on the air. Is there any challenge of really twofold of one, having to try to manage the PR part while you are on the air and two, knowing something while you're on the air that you can't yet share because you're on the air, but you do know it in advance of it being released publicly. Yes, uh, to both of those. So fortunately, I haven't had too many instances where a roster move was submitted late. Um, that has happened before, and, and that's a challenge. You kind of have to sometimes ask to extend your commercial breaks maybe a little bit to, to type out your, your roster move email. But, but more so it happens in that, you know, that off-the-record scheme, and, and you have to be really careful about that. This is really – sensitive information that these teams really value pretty highly. It could be an injury. It could be, you know, a guy who maybe is traded. Um, You know, the best example I can think of was uh, in July of 2016. And I I worked for Myrtle Beach, so a Cubs affiliate. And, um, you know, 10 minutes before first pitch, our manager calls me and he says, Glaber Torres, who is a massive prospect, amazing player, um, he has a headache. He's not going to be in the lineup today. And I'm like, okay. So like as a media relations person that involves, you know, getting the lineup out to everybody, the, all the media that's there, the scouts um, that use that stuff, you know, we've obviously social media, 
it's a lot of work and a little bit of time before first pitch. Obviously, you know, getting that that roster or even get put in the IL, but but in that situation, stuff like that has happened. And um, we obviously had known that there was an opportunity for him to or potential for him to get traded and stuff like that. You know, you, you, you get, you've got to be really careful because A, you don't want to upset the team, but B, you don't want to upset the player either. You know, these guys are regular people. And if you think about Glaber Torres that day, he's 19 years old. Um, his only time in the United States of America from Venezuela is playing baseball. He, he came to this country because he signed – he was amazing at baseball, and he signed with the Cubs, and the only people he knows in America are his teammates and his coaches and some people in the Cubs front office and, you know, random people like me who are in minor league baseball staffs. And so this is a really big moment in his life, you know, like – it's a big unknown. Like I think he probably knows like there's a chance I might get traded. These guys aren't dumb. They, they read and they've got agents that, that fill them in on stuff, but you also don't want to, um, you know, step on their toes and, and maybe break something that they don't know has been broken. You know, there's stories all the time about players finding out that they were traded on Twitter. And that's just, I don't think that's the right thing to do. So you want to be really careful. You know, he didn't get traded that night. He got traded, I think the next day or two, but um you know, I, I know for him, it was really a, a traumatic thing. It's a big unknown. This guy doesn't, you know, barely spoke the language at that point. He does a much better job now because he's a highly intelligent person. Uh, but he was 19 years old. He'd been in the United States for about a year and change. And all of a sudden, you're going to ask him to, to move to, to Florida, where the Yankees assigned him to Tampa. He's never been there before because the Cubs trained in Arizona. He doesn't know anybody in the Yankees organization. Like, he's extremely nervous and um, you know, it's not my place to step on those toes either, in addition to not wanting to give away proprietary information. So, um, yeah, you've got to be really careful. And you also have to realize, I think most importantly, that you're dealing with human beings and they have feelings and they've got, you know, anxiety, just like we all do. Just because they're baseball players doesn't mean they're, they're superhuman and they don't feel that stuff. And, and you want to be really careful about where you tread there. In terms of yourself and your preparation and having to do these roles, you are on the air until the game ends. And then you do have work to do after the game in that PR role. But then you also probably need to come into the office like the rest of the front office staff does the next morning. That has to become a very long season to do that for several months going and playing most weeks, probably six out of seven days, if not all seven. How do you keep yourself healthy, but also just, physically and mentally sharp through the length of an entire season. Yeah, that's, that's tough. That's the, I think when you talk to like the average person who works in minor league baseball, they'll always would say like, you know, life work balance is the toughest thing to manage. And um, you've got to realize that it's, you know, not a, a sprint. It's just like the players where they're playing 140 or 162, you know, it's the same for us um, really. And so, you know, I, I'm really big on, um, you know, if I need to, to take a break to read an article, because I just think it's interesting, I love reading, like I talked about earlier, um, you know, I'm going to take that, you know, five to 10 minutes, because I just know I need it. Um, I know, like, on, on big things, like if it's my dad's birthday, or, if it, you know, something like that, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that I, I make that call a step away. And, and I think the nice thing about the, the Jumbo Shrimp is that they recognize that they're, they're you know, willing to, to say, like, hey, you're putting in the work, you know, as long as it gets done, you know, obviously keep yourself as fresh as can be because it is 
really easy to get worn down, not even before the end of the season, but, you know, maybe even in the middle of the summer. So you try to eat as healthy as you can and try to get as much sleep as you can. And you, and you try to make sure that you're still staying connected. You're still having that time to talk to your family or your friends and, um, you know, having that time to, to step back during the day where you're not working literally every minute, you're taking those breaks to keep yourself fresh. But that is the toughest part of the season. And it is a lot of hours and it is a really big challenge. And I think every year you, you get maybe a little bit better and better at it, but no one's great yet. Um, but yeah, that is, that's the toughest part about working in minor league baseball for sure. And you mentioned it's going to be different this year. You're going to play just in your division, but an added layer to that is the travel. And what has your experience been like with that travel and how hard is that, especially at some of these minor league levels where you're not necessarily a charter plane, are you? No. Um, maybe one day if I am ever fortunate enough to make the majors, uh, in the lower levels of the minor leagues, everything is a bus ride. So um, when I was in Myrtle Beach, we would bus as far north as Wilmington, Delaware. So that's like a nine or 10 hour drive when you factor in Baltimore uh, and Washington traffic and you know sometimes other places as well. So um, yeah, you're on a bus a long time. Weirdly enough, um, I actually found the bus rides to be really nice. You know, you're kind of isolated. You can't I mean, I guess you could be on the phone, but everyone would hate you. So, you, you know, you can't really take business calls. You, you know, the internet can be kind of sporadic sometimes. So, uh, you know, from that perspective, like you're getting work done. I always felt like it was a good place to get work done because I'm, I'm kind of just isolated here anyway. Um, and no one's bugging me or whatever, you know, where people always come into my office here, which is a great problem to have because I guess people like me, thankfully, but um, sometimes it can get distracting. Whereas in the bus, you just, you know, like, okay, I'm here for nine hours. <laughs> I, I, you know, I can get stuff done or, you know, they'll have a movie on it or whatever. Um, so I, I, weirdly enough, really like that, the, the bus rides. I always found they were really, really uh, relaxing in a weird way and a kind of a way to, to take a step back while, you know, still doing stuff, but, but maybe not as intense as in the office because you just can't. Um, in AAA, we fly everywhere. So it's going to be a little bit different. Um, we're going to, no matter what, fly to, to Gwinnett or fly to, you know, hopefully when we open up the league next year to, you know, St. Paul, Minnesota, or you know, Des Moines, Iowa, and, and places like that that are in our league. So um, from what I've read, the AAA flights are really early in the morning, like, you know, the first flights out of the airport. So that'll be a little bit different and an adjustment. But you know what, like, I'm sure it'll be great. We'll roll with it. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you ask people whether, whether they'd rather fly or bus, most people would probably say fly. So it'll be a new adjustment, but um, I am looking forward to that aspect and, and seeing some different cities as well. I was going to ask about the timing of those bus rides. You know, the, the game ends at 1030 at night and, you know, by the time everybody gets treatment showers, packs up. Are you guys hitting the road right after the game or do you spend the night and then drive the next morning we so if the game ended at 10 or 10 30 um the bus would leave an hour or so after the game so 11 30 and uh you know you literally go until you until you got there so like to delaware you're, you're seeing the sunrise probably on the bus um you know not every trip was there fortunately and um most of the time you probably get in to the hotel in the wee hours of the morning and i think that's what people don't realize about how difficult it is on these minor league players. 
they're not making very much money and, and they're just busing and cramped buses different this year because of pandemic, but cramped buses normally where guys are sleeping on the floor, right? Like the starting pitcher for the next day had a yoga mat in the aisle and that was his reward for being the starting pitcher. He can kind of stretch out and the catchers had their own seat because they're the catchers and they're really important. So, you know, oftentimes it's just one guy next to another and they're big people. They're professional athletes and um, they're busing overnight. They're getting into a hotel at four or five in the morning, sometimes later, you know, we've gotten to hotels as late as nine 30, 10 in the morning. And, and then you're playing that night and people don't realize that it, it's impossible for somebody to understand, but it just gives you perspective on just how incredible these players are in a game that, think about all the people who play t-ball and then you know how little they people make the major leagues and it's only like 10 percent of minor leaguers play in the major leagues uh, in a game that's predicated on concentration um, for people to have that big of a disadvantage of these bus rides and they sleep in weird situations on a bus or coming in late into a hotel and still be able to perform in a sport like this i just have a lot of respect for those players it's remarkable you talked about your own hope to make it to the majors one day, and you've kind of worked your way up. You did a college summer league in High Point, and then you were um, Quad Cities, Winston-Salem, Myrtle Beach, and in, in A-League. You've paying your dues. Is that what you kind of see is this is you got to start at these lower-level teams and you can work your way up through the system just the way the players do? Yeah, yeah, it really is similar. Um, the difference is, the, you know, I'm not – just going to work in one organization in Winston Quad Cities was an Astros affiliate. They're now Royals, but they were Astros. Um, Winston-Salem was White Sox. Myrtle Beach was Cubs. Obviously, Joe Mosher and Marlins. And, and so we're just trying to do what, what those guys are doing. And I think there's a lot of respect for the players for that because they realize we're, you know, we're all trying to get to the same place one day. And there's that mutual admiration of how difficult it is. There's only 30, you know, major league TV jobs and there's only 30 major league radio jobs. So if anything, our, our, uh, our line of work, maybe the numbers make it a little bit more difficult, but. Um, especially when you consider the tenure, some of those guys have yeah. Bob Uecker, Marty Brenneman, uh, they're there forever. Yeah. Well, why would you leave? It's a great job. You get paid <laughs> to watch baseball, right? So yeah, they're there for decades and we just hope to get up there one day wherever just lucky, um, you know, I have, got friends who I used to work with who are, who are in the major leagues and you're just so happy for them. Um, it's just an amazing call that you one day hope to get. And uh, I just have been really lucky to keep moving up that, that ladder. I've worked for great, great organizations, great people who want to see me succeed, who are, who are willing to, to say like, hey, we know you don't want to be here long-term and we're willing to do whatever we can to help you get to that next ladder, uh, next rung of the ladder. And um, you know what, Heck, like, I think I'm the best example, right? Like I'm a triple A broadcaster and I didn't even do anything to get to triple A. It just so happened that minor league baseball made our team a triple A. So I, you know, what, what do I do? I'm not better than anybody else. I just have been really fortunate and really lucky. And uh, you just had to hope that that continues. And, and uh, I'm just grateful that some of my friends have gotten some awesome roles either in the majors or, or one of my mentors and best friends is Michigan basketball's broadcaster and just a great job. He's so, so happy there. And, um, you know, because we know how difficult it is um, when you have someone who you respect and admire and a relationship with, and you see them get to that level, you, you almost feel it for yourself. Just that, you know, 
you're rooting for them and, and you're just so happy for them. So I, I think it's just a nice camaraderie we all have because it is so hard and we might never do it. And you can't discount though, how much hard work you've put into it. And, and on top of the baseball, you talked about doing some other sports. And when you were at Myrtle beach, you were also the voice of Western Illinois basketball and football. And I'm not really good at geography, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure Myrtle beach and Western Illinois are not close to each other here in Jacksonville. You're very involved with, Jacksonville University, as well as the University of North Florida, doing other sports, doing public address announcing. Does that just help you gain experience, get more well-rounded, or is it just you just have such a passion for being around the games that you're just going to eat up as much of it as you can? Uh, probably both. Uh, I do really like it. I love basketball. I love basketball. I mean, baseball is my favorite, but basketball is just like really just a couple centimeters behind and um, so Western Illinois, it, it's funny when I got hired there, I was actually working in quad cities. And so that's 90 minutes away. And so it's easy, you know, to get from one place to another, but I knew quad cities was seasonal and, um, and Western Illinois, you know, I talked about how people want to see me succeed. They were fine with me driving <laughs> a lot of hours to Winston Salem in 2015 and, uh, Myrtle Beach from 2016 to 18 because they knew I wanted to do baseball and that was the best way for me to, to hopefully continue to get better and better as a as a broadcaster and and uh, you know hopefully keep moving up that that ladder being in, in baseball or maybe even college sports and so you want to be as versatile as possible you don't know where the the opportunities are going to come and so um, that could be soccer that could be softball that could be what you know baseball it could be basketball um, you just want to have as much preparation and experience as you possibly can. And it just helps that I enjoy doing this anyway for my career. Um, you know, at, at a certain point, you probably can drive 17 hours every six months. And, and uh, we hit that in, in my life. I got engaged in June of 2018 and, um, you know, pretty much knew that we couldn't do that anymore. And, and I was more than OK with that because that is more important than the career is, is your family. Um, so, you know, fortunately this Jacksonville job came open and for whatever reason they wanted to, to hire me and, and even better, it was full time and even more better. I'm in Jacksonville, which is a great city and there's so many opportunities for me to try to take advantage of. So, um, I'm very, very fortunate. I've been very, very lucky. I don't know what I did to deserve it, but I've just tried to make the most of it. Well, and that hard work, I do think is a big part of that story for you. And as you look at your resume, I see seven different experiences listed when you were a college student. Um, I think more than half of them were internships on top of, oh, by the way, working at the college radio station and doing exactly what you're doing now, play-by-play -play and um, pregame shows. You were the sports director. You also did a talk show, though, for a college <laughs> radio station. And among the guests you had on that show were Scott, for Scott Van Pelt, Peter King, and Tom Verducci. Those are pretty good guests for anyone let alone for a college radio station. How did you go about making those connections? And, and is it just persistent paying off to land those guests? Um, the Verducci ones, actually, I, I shouldn't get too much credit for that. He was actually <laughs> my brother's uh, Little League coach. And so I, I have known him for a little bit of time. So um, yeah, that was, an, that was an easier one to to get because he was coaching my brother. So I could just ask my dad to, you know, Hey, what's his email. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, cause my brother was still playing with his son and um, yeah, that, I shouldn't get too much credit for that one, but um, 
Yeah, Scott Van Pelt, I don't, I don't know how much credit I deserve for that either. Um, you know, we had a, and, and first of all, like I had great buddies who I did this show with, uh, Monday Night Madness, Luke Jackson and Matt Costello. We did it all four years, the same time, uh, every semester. And um, so we went to, Maryland had this, I went to the University of Maryland. They had this, uh, every fall, this Shirley Povich Sports Symposium, and they would bring out all these people uh, every single year to talk about, you know, a pressing issue in sports. And they were like professional athletes, like Washington football players. They were big time journalists like a Scott Van Pelder or Michael Wilbon uh, or Tony Kornheiser one year. And, and, you know, I'm like, what, like, how do we get those people? And like, I, I love Maryland so much, but this is a, you know, one of the reasons why. And so, um, Scott Van Pelt is the coolest guy in the world and all due respect to, to all the other people that would come, they're trying to get out of there, understandably so as fast as possible afterwards, you know, they're spending two hours, three hours, you know, on this panel. Like I don't blame them. <laughs> they got to work the next day. They have families to go to. And Scott Van Pelt, uh, I remember my freshman year, the first one I went to, I called my parents at like two in the morning because, and they thought something was wrong in retrospect, <laughs> but he, so the thing probably ended at like 9, 30, 10. And he stayed with all these people, most like nerds like myself, but, but some people who were just like donors or alums or other just random students who maybe just wanted to, to you know, go to this because they're sports fans and just answered their questions for hours, hours. The janitors like came in several times to try to get us to stop and they were about like, you know, it's his job or what, you know, even things like, what is the, this is sports center commercials. Like, what's it like to film? For? Like, I just like, remember walking out of that room and it's just so emotional because that guy is the pinnacle of our profession. And, um, you know, he had time to answer every single question and to, for people like me to come up to him and get his email, you know, to, to be able to network with him later on. And, and he didn't have to do that. That guy is a Maryland legend. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. It, it, it still kind of cracks me up a little bit how good of a person he is to do that because he could just go out anywhere. It's Washington, D.C. pretty much, right next to Maryland. It's Baltimore. It's his home. And instead, he was wasting time answering dumb questions from idiots like myself. And, um, you know, I called my parents. I just I couldn't believe it that he had that in his heart to do that. And so, um, you know, and then the, to answer our emails from myself and our uh, my co-host and, and then come on our show and then not only come on our show for five minutes, he gave us like 45 minutes before he was going on the air for sports center. And that's the kind of guy he is. And, and he was talking about, you know, what he was doing to prepare. And he just was so funny and so gracious with his time. And I, I kind of made a pact to myself if I ever am lucky enough to get invited to get, you know, to be big enough to get invited to that in the future, I would do the same thing uh, because of the impact it had on me. Um, and so, yes, we got Scott Van Pelt with Peter King. I, I think we honestly just tweeted at him. I think I tweeted at him maybe. Oh, wow. He responded. And, <laughs> and then we set it up from there. And I think he like DM me his email or something like that. And um, yeah, I, I just, you know, right. a lot of tweets to people. And it, it's just nice to know that in our industry, uh, people are willing to give back even to students. So um, yeah, we were really lucky. We had some great guests and uh, people who were really, and he was gracious with his time too. He gave us a lot of time and he's very, was very busy before his retirement. And, um, 
Yeah, we were very lucky, and I'm very lucky that I had great friends to do that show with. It's a great memory of mine. Speaking of giving back, what would be your advice to someone who, whether a student or out of school, looking to get into sports broadcasting? I think the best thing you could do um, is, you know, it's a, such a hard industry that people are willing to, to help because they wouldn't be where they are at without people helping them. And so um, the more people you reach out to, you'd be surprised how many people respond to you and are willing to, to get on the phone and, and talk to you about their journey and, and figure out, um, hey, this is how I got from point A to point B. And it is a weird industry and it's not going to be like a linear path for everybody. There's all sorts of weird turns that people take, but people are willing to listen to your stuff. People are willing to give you advice on things you could do better and uh, willing to talk to you about their journey and willing to help you on yours. To me, that's the best thing is that there's so many successful people that are, uh, at least I was surprised at first and now I'm, I'm really not because I realize how difficult it is and how much help you need that they're willing to give back. And I just would, would say to anybody, don't hesitate to send that tweet to, <laughs> to somebody say you want career advice or, or find their email or, or, you know, whatever it is, because the chances are not every, not all of them, but I would say the strong majority are willing to not only respond, but also willing to give up their time to help you out. Are there a couple broadcasters who you would consider influences on you? And do you find yourself watching games, trying to pick up little tips from, from seeing others do this craft? There are. Um, you have to be careful because you can't, you don't want to copy somebody. You, you want to have your own style, but there are things you pick out. I really like how that guy did that or whatever. Uh, like Doc Emmerich. I love how he's just on that, finding the perfect verb out of like a vocabulary bank of 200 or so. I just, he's just at remarkable. And um, he would be one of those for that very reason, the importance of vocabulary. Vince Scully, um, my grandparents are Brooklyn Dodgers fans. So that one is kind of personal because they listened to him when they were kids in Brooklyn. And um, a funny story on that, I'd heard about him for a long time, but we didn't have, you know, there was no way for, to listen to the Dodgers for a kid in New Jersey and, and New York for a time uh, in the nineties and early two thousands. And I think I went home uh, my summer of my freshman year and we had just got an MLB network and I was scrolling through the channels one night and um, it, the Dodgers were on and I was like, you know, there's nothing on like, let me see what this Vince Scully guy is all about. And I distinctly remember thinking, I bet he will stink <laughs> on the game and it was in commercial and they came back and they show, showed a full moon and he didn't say anything at first. I'm like, Hmm. And then he goes, isn't it amazing we put a man up there? And I was hooked. And I, like, I, that was all I needed, that one sentence, those seven words. And, um, yeah, he, it just the way that he was able to so seamlessly blend his stories with the game but not overlaying one or the other on top of it where it was too much to handle. And um, I, to me, he's the best that will ever do this. And, and so, like, what are we even doing here? No one could be better than him. But um, he's definitely a huge influence for me, specifically, you know, in the last decade plus before he retired, because I didn't listen to him because I couldn't before that. Mm -hmm. And then I, I'm very lucky to have grown up in the in where I did, because I think it's a great sports area. But I also think there are great broadcasters there. The Mets broadcasters are fantastic. Gary Cohen and Howie Rose are as good as it gets. I mean, Gary Cohen probably is the best TV broadcaster in baseball right now he is just 
just fantastic. Um, his recall, his knowledge of Mets history, his ability to empathize and how he's the same way with the Mets fan because they were Mets fans, I think is an important thing as a broadcaster. They know what the fan base is going through. I think that's really important. They understand it. And so they can kind of, in a way, have compassion in their call or excitement in their call when Johan Santana throws a no-hitter, for example. That is important because they just kind of understand their base and who's listening to them and, and kind of how they relate to them. Um, Ein Eagle to me is uh, just an amazing broadcaster. I, I love listening to him and obviously he's the Nets broadcaster and he's, he's just tremendous. Uh, I think Kevin Harlan is really great. Like another guy who uses vocabulary very well. Um, Doc Emmerich was fan. It was, it's just really tremendous. And I really like Al Michaels. He's very dry. I think he's got a great sense of humor. Uh, some of the stuff that he slips in, maybe people don't realize what he's saying um, in terms of over-unders and, and such, but uh, I, he's also just really great. He works really well with Chris Collinsworth. He never, he never uh, overtakes a broadcast. He understands the importance of setting up Chris and, and other people of that team. And, um, you know, those things I, I've definitely taken. I think those broadcasters, Gary Cohen, Howie Rose, Doc Emmerich, Vince Scully, Al Michaels, Ian Eagle, Kevin Harlan probably are my are my favorites, but there's a lot of really good ones too. But um, I was lucky that I got exposed to a lot of them very, very early. I close every episode with the same half dozen questions for each of my guests. I call it the set pieces. What are podcasts or newsletters you use to stay informed and keep learning? Yes, you, you uh, gave me advance notice on some <laughs> of these. I've been thinking about them. So I like the Daily from the New York Times. It just kind of helps to to know what's going on. I think Michael Barbaro is a great interviewer. Some of the stuff he does is like, I'm amazed that he's able to, to press when he does, to lay off when he does. He just has a great feel for that. Um, you know, I, I read the, the Washington Post power up newsletter every morning, uh, kind of just runs everything that's going on in the world. Uh, the New York Times has a great one called The Morning that I, that I do read every day. So I'm actually not a huge podcast guy besides the daily. And, and sometimes I'll mix in some random ones like uh, effectively wild is a pretty good one for baseball. Like I like their, their season preview um, podcasts before the season, but the daily is definitely something I, I make sure I listen to every day for sure. On social media, who are your most valuable follows the posts that you don't want to miss? Oh, that, this is the toughest one for me because I'm <laughs> not a, a huge, like I have a Twitter account. Uh, and I, I try not to tweet too much because I feel like Twitter can be kind of a, a cesspool at times in a lot of ways. But um, the best Twitter accounts to me, um, my favorite writer is Joe Posnanski. So I think he's very funny on Twitter. He's always got some pretty good one-liners. So I, I do really enjoy uh, following him. Um, let's see, who else do I like on, on social media? Um, I know I had some in my head and I'm blanking out on them now, but um, Joe Posnanski is definitely one of them. Some of the teams like the Cleveland Indians are really funny. They've always got great stuff. The Portland trailblazers are another really good team that I kind of like, cause they've got really good like video that they'll do. Like they did a schedule release for like the Oregon trail video game from the nineties, which was really oh, wow. cool years back. Um, so I kind of, I like that stuff. Um, but there are some good some good writers who I do really enjoy following on there. Poznanski is definitely one of them. Um, 
Oh boy, I should have been better prepared for this because I thought it would come to me in the moment. I like Andy McCullough um, from The Athletic. He's a good writer who's got some good stuff. Jeff Passan is obviously a great follow because he's and Ken Rosenthal. They're always breaking news. And um, Zach Lowe from ESPN, the NBA reporter, is also very good on, on social media too. And I like him quite a bit. Speaking of writers, what are a couple of books you would recommend that people check out? Joe Posnanski's The Soul of Baseball is my favorite book of all time. Um, and it's, uh, yes, it's about baseball, but it's really more about life. It's about Buck O'Neill, who played in the Negro Leagues. He managed in the Negro Leagues. He was actually such a good player. He won a batting title. He was actually the manager for Jackie Robinson and Ernie Banks with the, the famed Kansas City Monarchs. And then became the first black scout and the first black uh, coach in the major leagues. And then built the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum uh, in Kansas City. And he has just lived an amazing life. He passed away in the mid-2000s, 2006, I believe. But um, I never got a chance to meet him. But his energy, his enthusiasm, this was a guy who couldn't go to high school because of the color of his skin. He couldn't play in the major leagues because of the color of his skin. He couldn't manage in the major leagues because of the color of his skin. He couldn't coach first or third for the same reason. And he never got down at all about life. Just an infectious personality that I just, you know, it was a book I, I got kind of like at times you cry about just out of happiness, just the way he reacts to certain situations and the stories that he tells about Negro Leagues players that, you know, these are people we should absolutely be celebrating um, that have slipped through the cracks for whatever reason, but they were just remarkable players. So that's a great book. The other book I love is called Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Um, it's about Abraham Lincoln, uh, essentially like what allowed him to win the Republican nomination for presidency in 1860 because he was a massive underdog. And there are all these people he beat out. He essentially, his strategy was just to be second place on everybody's list because he knew that all these people were going to sign with Seward and Chase and all in all these other Stanton, all these other great people in American history. And then when he turned around and won the presidency, what he did to not alienate those people, he didn't say, well, screw you, I won. He brought them into his cabinet. And how that was a remarkable way that changed American history, because a lot of those people in this book had huge roles in the Civil War and in the Emancipation Proclamation and freeing the slaves and all these things that completely changed our country. And obviously that's why it's called Team of Rivals because he made a team of all these people who were vying for the spot that he got. And all these people thought that they were smarter than him and then they worked with him and they were like, oh my God, this guy is incredible. <laughs> and I remember reading that book and, and the one of the last chapters is obviously him going to um, where he ended up getting assassinated. And you're almost like, please stop, stop. Like, don't go there. And it's just remarkable writing and a remarkable story. So those two are probably my favorite books. What would you consider your cheat code or your best life hack? Um, I read a great book called The Extra 2% a few years back. And um, it was about the Tampa Bay Rays philosophy, where they can't afford to spend the money that the Yankees and the Red Sox spend. And instead they have to do everything else 2% better. They have to scout 2% better. They have to develop players 2% better. They have to manage 2% better. They have to, you know, insert what it is. They have to do it 2% better to make up that difference. And uh, I thought that was really intelligent. 
You know, most of us in life don't have the, the talent of, of, you know, an Aaron Judge or a Mike Trout. We have to work for it, and uh, myself included. And so I have kind of taken that book and I've tried to make myself 2% better in every other regard. You know, how can I be 2% better in this every single day and, and in this and in that and keep being versatile to try to make up that gap against the people who are way more talented than me. Um, so that is uh, an interesting book that I read and um, it was about people who are way smarter than me. So I figured I might as well try to, to input that into my own life. What's your favorite sports memory as a kid? My favorite sports memory as a kid would probably be um, 1999, the uh, Mets were playing the Braves and uh, I was eight years old and I had a, a bedtime and my dad was very strict about not letting me stay up late to watch games. But um, there was a really emotional like series the Mets had against the Braves and we, we were Mets fans in our household and um, they were fighting with the Braves and it was back and forth. It was, I think it's game five of the uh, NLCS that year. And Robin Ventura hit a grand slam to win the game in like the 14th inning. And my dad actually woke me up for that game. And um, it's funny because I got to meet Robin Ventura one time and I told him that like, that was the first time my dad ever let me, you know, watch a baseball game late. And he said, Oh, you're making me feel very old. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. I always remember that because it was a big moment. And, and the other one I obviously remember um, from when I was a kid was uh, Mike Piazza's home run after nine 11 and uh, just the, the emotion um, and the feeling in our area being in that New York city area. Uh, my dad actually worked in the, in the world trade center, obviously very fortunately was not, he didn't work there every day and he wasn't there that day. And, um, you know, 10 days later, the Mets played the first game in, in New York. And I remember I was at my buddy's house with my friend Jay and we were watching the game, which is funny because he hates baseball. So I don't know how we convinced him to watch it, but um, Mike Piazza hit that home run and it was, you know, it's just an amazing memory and, and obviously very personal um, to our area, to people that we knew who obviously uh, were, were sadly did not, uh, make it out that day. And, um, you know, obviously even for myself, I was very proud the morning of September 11th, our teachers, you know, we were like, where are our teachers? Um, they're all huddling in the hallway. We're in fifth grade. We don't know. And they come in and our teacher asked is, does anyone have family who works in New York? And obviously every, a lot of kids did. So we all raise our hands and, um, you know, I was very proud of the fact that my dad worked in the most famous building and the most famous, you know, I know that you're a Midwestern guy, so you're probably like oh, a New York guy, like most famous <laughs> city in the world. Um, but, um, you know, like it is a, the World Trade Centers were very famous and I was very proud that he was there some of the days. And so, yeah, my dad works in the World Trade Center and her mouth just dropped to the floor. And I always remember that. And she didn't say anything. And um, like, obviously I was very lucky. And so, yeah, like that, that moment was really big. And um, if you'll indulge one more, I'm sorry. Please. Uh, in 2013, obviously I'm a little bit older or 2012, excuse me. But um, I was interning in New York at the time and I would take the train back to New Jersey with my dad who still works in this, well, not now during the pandemic, but normal times works in the city. And um you know, we're, we're following the Mets game and um, we get in the car. And I think Howie Rose said something like, oh, Johan Santana hasn't allowed a hit 
yeah, but he's already thrown 75 pitches. And I joked like, oh, you know, even when the Mets are going to throw a no hitter, they, they won't have a pitcher be able to go the length of the game to, to be able to throw it. And we got home and we had pizza. It was Friday night. And, uh, you know, we're watching the game. And they still hadn't allowed a hit. And then at this point, it's like the sixth or seventh inning. And I, I was actually supposed to hang out with some friends that night. And my friend was like, hey, I'm going to pick you up. I'm like, no, I can't go. She's like, why? I'm like, I can't tell you. <laughs> and um, she said, well, can I, well, what's going on? I said, you have to follow the Mets game. And she said, well, can I come over and watch it? I said, no. <laughs> and we stayed in the same, we didn't get changed. We stayed in the same spots of the couch. And he finally threw that no hitter. And it was just really cool to experience with my dad, who's been a Mets fan forever, and my brother as well. So this actually brings up a question. If someone's throwing a no hitter, how do you handle that on the air? <laughs> On the air, I think I've never called a no-hitter now. Um, but I think I have said that when it's come close, there's maybe been one or two times that, like, he has not allowed a hit through whatever innings. I haven't said no-hitter, but I have said he has not allowed a hit or there's been no base runners or stuff like that. But I'm very, very careful about that. And I, think <laughs> I, I think I said the first time I had that chance and the guy gave it up in the eighth inning, uh, and a bunch of fans tweeted at me afterwards, like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Playfully. There are, there are people who Of course, of course. Years, but, um, yeah, I, I, I will say it, but I try not. I try to say it in creative ways as well. My last question, do you keep your credentials? And if so, where is that collection? I do, and I have them all in a bin in my house. Um, one day, maybe if I get like a, um, a home office or maybe I should maybe think about bringing them here. This is our radio booth for, for people who are watching. And if they didn't get bored by me, I've made it through all the way to now, but um, yes, like I have them. I think they're really cool. I've got them from all sorts of schools when I was in college and at Western Illinois. And obviously some of the internships I had when I was in school, I got some credentials there. So I, I am keeping those for as long as I can until my wife tells me to throw them out, which hopefully will be never. <laughs> Scott, I really appreciate all your time. Good luck with the jumbo shrimp in this upcoming season. Thank you, Pete, for having me. I, I'm sorry for being so long-winded, but I appreciate your time. No, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. The minor league baseball season gets underway on May 4th, and the ocean called George Costanza bobblehead giveaway night is scheduled for July 10th when the Charlotte Knights will visit Jacksonville. Hope you can make it in for that game. Don't forget to follow Credentials Only on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening. If you sign up for our mailing list at credentialsonly.com, we will slide into your inbox whenever we have a new episode to share. I want to thank Scott for his time, and thank you for listening. Also, thanks to Mike Mouché, who edits Credentials Only, which is a Holter Media production. 